0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Welcome to the season premiere of Veritas, season 11. Tonight we give you techniques and tools to build on your spiritual warfare armor. Is the empire on its last days? We'll discuss confidence, strikes, truth, and authority relativism and pluralism, spiritual integrity, and more. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. Join me on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to begin season 11 with us, and this is turning into a tradition now, almost like bringing a shaman, a spiritual warrior. Tonight's special guest is none other than Neil Kramer, an English writer, philosopher, author, and teacher, specializing in the fields of consciousness, metaphysics, and mysticism. Neil is renowned for his unique blend of lucidity, empowerment, and authenticity. And directly from the Pacific Northwest, I'm delighted to welcome Neil Kramer back to Veritas. Hello, Neil, and welcome back.
1: Hello, Mel. It's a pleasure to be here. I am very well indeed. And how about yourself?
0: I am doing fantastic. Always a pleasure to have you back. And as I was mentioning before we began, just to let the audience know, because of course, you're from Europe. I just came back from Europe. I had a, a great visit to Italy, Switzerland, and then as we were moving into france at the border we bumped into what's called the yellow jackets and of course we were a little bit concerned are they going to block us but we had a chance to speak with some of them and i realized there's a lot of misconception out here it's not only about the price of diesel it's all the socialist ideas that the president macron is bringing to france can we address this at the beginning
1: absolutely it's central to what's happening in our world today
0: and by the way, thank you for joining us in this new season by the way.
1: Oh, my pleasure. No, it's a, it's a great honor to come on the show and it's a nice milestone to be here at this time after, uh, you know, many years of great work. I know you've you've put a little compilation together of everybody's congratulations uh, along those lines, so certainly let me add my congratulations to that and uh, it's a pleasure to contribute. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So what's your take on what's happening in France, not only in France, it's happening in the UK, it's happening in Belgium, and the media seems to be blocking a lot of those.
1: <laughs> it sure does. It's not, good for, it's not good for empire, as I call it. We'll come to that in a minute. Europe is, uh, has been pushed to the brink of destruction. Uh, empire is currently genociding Europe through mass immigration. Forget who they are, where they're from, what color they are, what god they worship. Just bodies, numbers of bodies. Culture is being destroyed in England. It has it has been under that campaign of destruction for a 100 years, in my view, at least. And France and Germany and Spain and Portugal and Greece, Switzerland, Belgium, goodness knows where, Sweden. It, for, for sure, Sweden. Sweden and England have probably taken the brunt of it are having a terrible time. And all the centuries, millennia of history that those countries have celebrated and all the awesome art and literature and science and engineering and excellence that many of those countries have brought to bear in their culture and in the heritage and lineage of their people is being totally and utterly decimated by empire. And it gets to a point, of course... Where the normal everyday people who have lived in those places for centuries, not so much the newcomers because they're, of course, economic migrants looking for a different way of life, a better way of life. Some of them completely good. Some of them completely scumbags and everything in between. It's most the people who have heritage there who have the most to love and the most to lose and those people, frankly, are fighting back. It's nothing to do with gasoline, petrol, diesel. It's nothing to do with that. The displeasure of the people is sown across all demographics from little old ladies to angry young 16 year old men. Everybody has had enough of this imperial placeman, Emmanuel Macron, who of course has zero interest in the well-being of France, absolutely zero. And I think every clear-thinking man and woman who listens to him, who looks at him, who examines his background, who looks at who's funding him, will, will realize that and will come to say, that's it, we've had enough. And it will—it spreads very, very quickly across everywhere. Uh, the only place that that isn't happening is the United States because we've already spoken and we threw out the people who don't care about America and have put some other people in who care a hell of a lot more, which we'll come to that later.
0: I wonder if the French regret not having elected Le Pen.
1: Well, the the storyline is that she's a fascist, Trump's a fascist, and you know, you get you're gonna have a disaster if those people get in. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Nationalism is simply Loving one's own country and putting special emphasis on the place where we are and where we choose to invest our hard work, our creativity, our emotions, our love, our history. And as a, an American citizen now, I love my country. I love it above other countries. I am a nationalist. I am a patriot, effortlessly, naturally a patriot. That nationalism is never reflected uh, in leadership until recent times. So nationalism can be exploited, of course, and made extreme and radicalized and turned against the people. But when it is understood in a cool, lucid, clear fashion, exceptionalism, that is the idea that what you have here is exceptional, it is better than other places, is a completely natural philosophy to me. And it's obviously true, having traveled all over the world to ma- most major cities that people have heard of i can tell you that living in america is uh, better than anywhere else simply because of its freedom i am freer here to express myself to go about my business to travel as i may to defend my life my family's lives and my home as as i see fit that is not possible anywhere else in the world technically legally at this time, the only place you can do that as put down into law is the United States of America. Now, that, that's a sad indictment of current world politics. It's in flux. It is changing. But the secret story is, the story behind the headlines that you'll never see in the mainstream press, the United States of America is the crucible for world change. There is something here that never never appears in the mainstream news, you'll never see it on CNN or BBC, that is changing the world. And it's everywhere. People are inherently good, especially people who make a commitment to invest in their own soil. As I invested for 35 years in England and now I hope and choose to invest for the rest of my life in this country – That's my investment. I'm committed. I am an asset to this country. And when somebody places themselves in that role, you've got a good human being. You've got an asset to your community, to your family, to your church, to your business, to your whatever. And I think that is being understood now that those who don't invest are not welcome. Because if you don't invest, then you're there just for your own selfish purposes. And we'll come to that immigration perhaps in a little bit more detail later but I, th- I think it's clear for any lucid observer of this that um empire uses immigration to kill culture to kill history to kill nationhood and the mass movement of human bodies destabilizes infrastructure and causes terrible economical and cultural chaos by design by design so I've said to you before, and I've said to people every time they talk about it, they say, well, what would you do about this, Neil? It's all very well pontificating in that manner, making these sweeping statements. What would you do? I would do two very, very simple things. Firstly, I would make some statements. One, the priority of the system is to protect its citizens. Two, protect the country's proven cultural and constitutional principles. That that must be enshrined into what we do. Then I would act. I would immediately cease all immigration and asylum until there has been a deeply comprehensive reform of America's entire immigration system, designed and implemented, that is. No new people for five years. And people who complain about that can thank the massive illegal immigration that has been artificially stimulated by empire, by this these internationalists. And thirdly, I would arrest every mayor, every governor, and every state representative who voted to break federal law by establishing sanctuary cities. That's a disgrace, it's disgusting, and it's treachery. And I think if you do that, you then show how much people love their homeland and country, and when it's in a good state, how openly they welcome economic, cultural migrants from anywhere in the world, any nation, any skin, any race, any aspirations, any spirit. Of course, human beings are like that. We're all like that. There's no problem there. What you can't do is bring in Millions of bodies who have no idea where they're going or why they're doing it. You can't do that. So it's very simple. But such is the socialist principles and the request for us not to use offensive language that many people are afraid to say what I've just said. It's it's very, very simple when you put it plainly like that. And if anyone's ever met me, they'll know that I am completely the least racist, least xenophobic, least sexist person you've ever met. I believe in human beings. I believe in the dignity of the human spirit. I believe in inherent goodness. I do. But I will not sit back and watch what happens, uh, what's happened already to Europe, happen to the United States. I won't let that happen as long as I've got breath in my body.
0: I know a number of people like you. I have friends here in my town, especially Bis this- couple. Um, He's a doctor from, he immigrated from Poland and he had to wait in line. And sometimes they invite us to 4th of July celebrations at their home. And they are now more patriotic than many Americans that I know.
1: Of course. How wonderful. And what a a decent human being he is to, like myself, presumably to honor his, his own journey, but also to thank his new homeland to thank the opportunity that lies before him now. I mean, that seems to me the only decent thing to do, and yet it looks to be quite rare uh, if you would be reading the Washington Post or the New York Times.
0: But at the same time, then you have other types of migrants who come here, escaping persecution, oppression, religious extremism, you name it. But then after a few years or even months sometimes, they demand to change our laws so that we become the country they left behind. This is one of the most puzzling things or aspects about the, migra- the immigration crisis that I see.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we're not here to help everybody. We're not, that's not why we're here. We're here, first of all, to make ourselves strong and true and to fulfill our own destiny and potential. When you're in good shape, and remember, America's only really been here for 250 years, so it's, it's kind of new. When you're in good shape, then you might start saying, hey, you know what? We've got a lot of space here. We've got a lot of resources. I think we can help good, honest people who are seeking asylum from terrible situations in awful countries. I think we may be able to extend the generosity of spirit that we have founded in ourselves here and open that to you guys. Uh, That's not what's happening in California and Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening in England. That's not what's happening in France. What's happening there is the people who have been in control of the world since, let's take modern history to put this into a reasonable time frame. I would say since about 1963, the people who've been running the show since then, know that immigration topples nations and you end up not having a history, not having a culture, not having anything. So it's by design. Now, if you go to most of Africa, most of Central America, most of South America, most of Asia, most of Europe and say, hey, where would you like to go in the world if you could pick anywhere? Where would you like to take yourself and perhaps your family and have great opportunity and the the promise of access to great wealth, great providence in your life, what one place would you go to? Everybody, everybody would say the United States of America because of its abundance and because of its freedoms. Everybody would go there. If we let that happen, the entire planet would live in the continent of North America. (laughs) So you can't do that because it would destroy the entire human race. You can't let everybody in. It kills everyone when you do that. So somebody somewhere has to take the broad, long view of this and say, we have to get ourselves in shape first. We have to remove the vermin in government and in the institutions who are poisoning people's minds and hearts. And once we get ourselves in good shape, which will be some decades at the very earliest – then we'll take a look at those questions, and we'll take a look at how we can help the rest of the world. But like they say on an airplane, put on your own oxygen mask before you help anyone else put theirs on, or everyone's dead.
0: You know, I'm thinking of right now, I don't know if you know this, you probably do, they are banning the song It's Call Outside. It's a Christmas song, (laughs) but then you hear 99% of the hip hop songs. Well, actually I'm exaggerating here, but you hear rap songs that demonize uh, the the, 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 the streets of women. It it speaks negatively about society. Scumbags. Yes. But this song that has been around for a very long time, it's a, it's a fiction, two fictional characters (laughs) What's happening with our history? Same thing with Little House on the Prairie. They want to ban the book saying that it's offensive. Uh, it was written in the uh, late 1800s by somebody who lived at the time. This is our history. Why yeah. do we continue erasing our history?
1: Well, this gets us into it, doesn't it? This, let's, let's get into this. Let's get into some of the subjects we've talked about. The, the more truthful I become in my life— the more I find myself at odds with mainstream media. Not mainstream life, but mainstream media and the people who believe mainstream media. And I feel that we have a duty to tell the truth because of these things. I believe we have a clear responsibility to speak the truth, sometimes with great grace and diplomacy and tact, there's definitely many occasions for that and sometimes with great force and great aggression and great vehemence sometimes with those things too Um, and I've seen that in my life personally before we start to speak about those wider things that the degree of truth I embody in my life determines the amount of freedom I have so there's a connection between truth and freedom. Freedom in the sense not just of what I'm allowed to do, because I, I nobody can tell me what to do. I I can do whatever I want as long as I obey natural law. Don't don't perpetrate violence without proper cause, which would be rare, of course, that you'd ever need to do that. Don't take what isn't yours and behave prudently. Those are the only three natural laws. As long as I obey them, I mean freedom in the sense of intellect, emotions, my worldview, my sexuality, my fellowship, my artistry, my logic, my sense of divinity, my connection to God, everything. And that freedom really is the key to a a happy and fulfilled life. It's, It's not optional. That freedom is absolutely essential. So you find yourself in this funny system that's so unnatural, and you have to ask yourself, you know, I would say this in quite spiritual terms. Do you trust the system or do you trust God? Because the voice of the system is loud and the voice of God is is quiet. So to me, the, the present times provide a very evident opportunity for individuals to demonstrate the courage of their convictions. How much faith do you have in your own perceptions of reality? How confident are you to speak about what you believe, what you know? So those things sort of lie at the foundations of this, but we can't answer some of those questions until we lay a foundation because the resolution to our inquiries sits upon a foundation, rests upon a foundation. So let's lay that foundation first before we get into this. Now, as many of your listeners will know who've heard me before and my listeners who come to your show They'll know that I use this word empire, but we'll just spend a few seconds describing what I mean by that for people who've not heard that, not heard me before. Empire is a word I use to denote both an ideology and a group, a group of people, a group of entities that restricts world society to a lower intellectual, physical, emotional, and moral condition. You could also say that empire is a cult of degeneration. You could easily say that. Uh, The mainstream media, CNN, BBC, Washington Post, New York Times, The Telegraph, The Guardian, NPR, Huffington Post, Radio 4, Rolling Stone, BuzzFeed, Time Magazine, Facebook, Google, all those organizations broadcast the degenerate signal of empire. That's what they do. And they broadcast purposefully absurd things like banning people using the word Christmas. You can't say Merry Christmas. We don't want you to sing a Christmas song or a hymn or a pop song that has religious connotations. It's it's degenerate. It's a ridiculous thing. It's It's done on purpose to wind people up. It's silly. It's ridiculous. And the signal of empire constantly repeats various depraved notions such as There's no God. There is no higher spiritual element to life. History is irrelevant. Culture, lineage, heritage is irrelevant. Everyone is the same. Getting old is a disaster. Nothing is better than anything else. And basically, if you're a normal person, the best you can hope for is to be comfortable, secure, and entertained. And that is all. So Empire's main job is to tell you that everything is just nuts and bolts. You're just a heap of dead flesh with a few paltry moments to pass on your genetic material before you disintegrate. That is the message of empire. That is empire. So I use the word empire, that sort of particular terminology, instead of saying new world order, cabal, deep state, globalists, Illuminati, control system, Babylon, or whatever, just to initially... Neutralise and avoid unnecessary alternative uh, narratives that people might put up on things. In other words, you know, we don't need any added drama here. Though what we do need is to point to the fact that this is an organised system against humankind. It's very old and very expansive. So for those things, I decided to use the word empire, which which seems to me appropriate. Now, I will tell you, in Christian terminology, real Christianity which in its pure form is kick-ass, fascinating, deep, devotional, spiritual practice. Empire is the name of the earthly administration of Satan. It's the same thing. If we exercise the language of the prophets and the terminology found within, say, the book of Matthew or the book of Revelation, written by those who bore witness to the word of God, inspired testimony, empire is the dragon a large globalist system of moral, political, economic, and social control. It is not for the benefit of mankind, but rather for its enslavement. So empire, if you look at, if you know your New Testament prophecy, is the dragon. That's what it is. So it's been seen for a long time, this. And decent men, prophets, uh, Christians, mystical men, spiritual men of decency, let's just call them that. If you don't like Christianity, let's just call them men of honor and integrity, saw this problem from about, you know, um, 2000 years ago onwards. Some would say from about 1400 BC, if you go right back. They saw this problem. And in the New Testament, we refer to it as the dragon. Now, I, I also, if I may, do feel free to interject at any point because you know me I'll just talk for two hours if needs be but um <laughs> I also want to bring up our second point here about confidence tricks which is a funny thing to talk about on a, sh- a show like this you know a con trick because I think this sets again a good framework a good foundation for understanding what's happening here what's going on at the moment Um a confidence trick is is simply a method to defraud a person or a group of people by gaining their trust, by winning their confidence, hence the name confidence trick. So as we know, the the shorthand for a a confidence trick is the word con, and the slang for a confidence trickster is a con man. So a con exploits uh, traits in unthinking human psychology – Especially negative ones like vanity and greed and fear, but also positive things like a con trick will exploit kindness and compassion and hope in a person, especially hope. And the people that con men trick, as you may know, are known as the marks, M-A-R-K-S, a mark. So the con men will profile different marks, different victims, different targets for their schemes And they will identify specific parts of society, particular demographics to target, say like vulnerable old people or angry young people, daydreaming hippies and so on. And all of these people have a distinct and pronounced set of characteristics that can be taken advantage of, right? Now, as you know, most cons in the normal social commercial environment are are for money. The con takes place to trick people out of money, to perform some fraudulent activity that makes some poor bastard give the money away. But there's another kind of con that is not for money, but is for consent. To trick someone into consenting to agree to something that can be used to control them, that can be used against them. Say like the con at the moment is tricking people into giving up their freedom of speech tricking people into giving away their ability to bear arms, to defend life themselves, the families, the homes, tricking people into thinking that a disarmed society with unfree, polite speech is somehow a good thing, right? So that's the big con of empire in this current day. Now, note also that a con trick is perpetrated Not so much on logic and reason of an individual or a group, but rather on someone's emotions and sensibilities. So when someone has made a substantial emotional investment in an idea or a principle, even when logic and reason clearly indicate that it is false and indeed may even be a con, an outright deception, the person will still refuse to accept the truth. And here's here's the punchline. Here's the big point on this. Why? Because the unthinking human has already given up on their quest for truth. And instead, they would rather settle for a very satisfying fantasy. They don't want real. They want a comfortable simulation. So when a con man gives the unthinking human a fantasy, even if it's, you know, manifested or not or it's just an idea of a fantasy the target the mark will continue to trust it believe it and even go so far as to defend it for the very con man who sold him it incredible so the fact is the empire knows that for most people who choose on a day-by-day basis to live an unthinking life it is easier for them to live dishonestly in a simulated reality, than it is to live honestly in a real world. And that is why most new agers and technology fetishists and fake religions and cultural junkies are so aggressive in protecting their unconscious dream state. So, that's a very important principle to understand what cons are and how they work. They don't work on thought and intellect, they work on emotions and feelings. And you may say then, well, who are the con men? Well, the the people who design the cons are very rarely seen. They work behind the curtain to orchestrate certain affairs around society by attempting to raise whole generations of people who are already predisposed to being conned. So they teach the kids in our schools to be marks, to be victims, to be unthinking, undiscriminating, no discernment no independent thought so most elementary schools and high schools and colleges and universities they're not places dedicated to the passionate vivid quest for truth in life as they should be they are places for training gray faceless robots to do what they're told no truth no reality so those who design design the cons who who manufacture the the infrastructure of the whole big thing. They hide behind the scenes. However, those who deliver the cons, the actual operatives, the con men and women in the field, we can see them. And it it requires an expert salesman, an expert con man, a very vile and depraved individual who who would choose to do such a thing, to dedicate their life to such a massive con on humanity. And the biggest con man the world has ever seen, who is that? It is Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoru, not even eligible to be president. A con man, an out-and-out con man, an empire placeman. And the template for Obama was the UK Prime Minister, Tony Blair. Tony Blair is the con man who destroyed England from 1997 to 2007, And paved the way for the continued degeneration of England into a socialist quagmire, which it has been, in my view, since the 1900s, uh, since, I'd say, after the First World War, about 1918, 1919. But it really becomes obvious with Blair. Blair was following orders, doing as he was told, totally distorted, wicked man, totally compromised in intellect, morality, spirit and action. And so when the Blair con worked, which was clear in the first few years in the late 1990s in England, everyone thought it was okay, even apparently clear, prudent uh, conservatives and liberals. When everyone liked Blair, the Obama project in the U.S. was given the green light. So in the early 2000s, Obama was set up to be placed as uh, senator for Illinois in 2005. And then suddenly, miraculously, you know, into presidential office in 2009, a total con. Yeah. And the unthinking masses the world over totally bought it. They totally believed it because of his smile, because of his uh, movements, because of his statesmanlike abilities, because he sold a con of hope, didn't he? He sold a con of hope. So it, it is significant. We can pick a lot of them. Con, con artists are numerous. They're all over politics. And at the present time, I have to say, they are particularly rife in left-wing politics. And you, you only need to look at one of these people to see it. It's very clear when you're looking at a con man. It's very evident. It takes somebody like Nancy Pelosi, for example. She's a con woman. She She doesn't give a damn about American people, about normal lives and mothers and fathers and Living wages and education and the well-being and truthfulness of society in California and America. She she doesn't care about those things.
0: Well, she speaking care of about Pelosi, D.C. I don't mean to interrupt you, but speaking of Pelosi, I believe a few days ago hmm. President Trump was in Argentina and Vice President Pence was somewhere else. They were both outside of the United States. Heaven forbid that something happens to both of them. Guess who would be taken over if something would happen to either of them. Nancy Pelosi.
1: Yeah, that doesn't bear thinking about, does it? That's 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 scary. That's no. that's that's, uh, <laughs> that's.
0: It's a, a nightmare to even think about it. Let me just say this: it You're is. talking about education and, and mm. the programming and the indoctrination. What used to be moral is now moral. What was good is now bad. What is bad is now good. Up is down. Left is right. If I were an impressionable child today, and most children are, I would have a hard time discerning. And since schools don't teach you how to think, it's nothing but indoctrination. How are future generations supposed to deprogram themselves from this programming that's happening now?
1: Yeah, uh, you know what? I'll I'll help explain that in a moment because that's a great question and that's that's part of undoing the con. Um, it is it is important to identify that con men are not on your side, but they pres- they pretend to be. So if we're in – if you were a prisoner in prison, the con man who is really uh, there to imprison you poses as a prisoner with you. They pose as I'm one of you. So people like Elizabeth Warren or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Justin Trudeau or Bernie Sanders or Maisie Hirono, they pose as one of us. They say, hey, you know what, guys? I'm just like you. I'm just a normal man, a normal woman like you. And I'm here to fight for you. And it's it's not just left, it's right as well. Jeff Flake, Lisa Murkowski, a million others all over. I mean, the Clintons are actually a bit of a special case. We'll, we'll all soon see, I think, what happens to them and their massive crime family and all the decades of terror and blackmail and murder and trafficking and debauchery. They're a special case. But most of the others, they the con men, right? So if we extend our con metaphor for a few moments, and this is where I'll come to answer your question, Mel, it's worth considering that the kinds of cons that are run, right? So think about this. There's a a short con is a very fast deception, which just takes a few moments. Like somebody puts the hand in your wallet and another guy comes and bumps into your other shoulder. And as you spin because of the guy who's bumped in you, the other guy takes your wallet. It's gone and you don't notice. That's a short con. A long con is a a swindle that expands over weeks, months, years. And it involves organized groups of individuals, con men, equipment, actors, costumes, special effects, very carefully scripted dialogue. And this sort of con usually um, culminates in a major payout of some description, of course. So the longer the con, the bigger the payout. And as we said, for the financial con man, that equates to money. But for the political imperial con man, that equates to the relinquishing of freedom of expression, freedom to defend life, and most importantly of all, the the disavowal of God. Now, here's why I'm going on about cons so much. We'll talk about this for a couple of minutes, and then we'll move on. There's a book called Confessions of a Confidence Man by Edward H. Smith, and he details six stages of a con, which are these. This is where we get to your answer. Firstly, you spend time setting things up, hiring people, writing materials, setting the scene. Then secondly, you contact the mark, the victim, directly. Uh, you then start to build belief and excitement in the mark. So you get them all hopeful and optimistic about what's coming. You get them to invest in it emotionally before anything else. And you get them to invest to such a level emotionally, passionately, that they actually impair their own judgment You give them a little reward as well, a bit of some money, some toys, some pleasure. A little payoff with the promise of a far bigger one around the corner. And then here's the crucial moment. There is then a sudden change of events, artificially brought about, that forces the Mark to act immediately, which is where we are now. So we're at the penultimate stage of Empire's Con, which is the trying to make sudden, rapid artificial changes that force people to make a decision to do it now so the con man appears to uh, honour the gift that you know the con that he was initially given and then he disappears takes it away so whether that's money that is conned out of somebody or objects but here we're talking about consent we're talking about votes we're talking about belief so always in a con there's a moment of artificial crisis that's brought about an assassination a shooting, a false flag event, a plane crash, civil unrest, a simulated uh, earthquake, an invasion, anything. Some great crisis that forces people to make a quick bad decision whose judgment has already been impaired. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a planned crisis. Now, they keep failing Because there are good guys. Also, it's not all empire. Empire is a lot weaker than you think it is. There are good guys in the background, constantly thwarting these things. Real white hats, real agents of goodness, who are constantly hampering empire's efforts. So it's it's very important to set it up to know that this is a there's precedence for this. It's very simple to see it. So once you know about the mechanics of confidence tricks. You can, A, identify the con artists, which some some of whom I've named for you, but B, most significantly, you can identify the infrastructure, the stages of a con, and see how that's actually laid out in regular life. And when you look at that and you see ridiculous people like Angela Merkel and Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel Macron, they're con men, they're salespeople. They're just selling something. And the crisis that comes about The artificial ones are there to make people quickly force the hand. However, you can never factor out the goodness of human beings because they will come in and upset the balance. So human beings will only be conned for so long. And as you said at the start of this uh, show, the people in France have decided, you know what? We don't believe you. We don't believe in multicultural diversity and endless, endless trillions of people coming in from all over different colours it it doesn't work, it's bullshit it doesn't work you can only have a natural amount of diversity it takes care of itself prescribed diversity is genocide people are starting to wake up to that you can only trick them for so long so empire is desperate desperate. so it's pulling out those last stages of crisis that's what it's doing now that's what we're talking about here
0: It's very important to discuss all of this because the media doesn't tell you, folks. And if you hear people like Neil and I discuss this, people are programmed to say, oh, the two of you talk about nationalism, extremism, xenophobia, racism, blah, 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 blah. But that's not the case. Already, for example, the United States takes one million visas every single year for those people who think that we're just closing our borders. It's like when I tell somebody, and we have these discussions and arguments and debates on on social media these days, and I present these facts, and they say, oh, Mel, you're heartless. And I say, okay, fine. How many of these families are you willing to take? Crickets, silence. Or I posted this list of things that Hollywood celebrities who continue to claim of inequality and not taking all these immigrants, I say to them, then remove all the walls from your house. Remove the <laughs> fire, your security detail. Open the doors. Yeah, the hypocrisy. This is the part that I don't get. And, and Why can't I? Yeah,
1: and you and I speak as migrants to this fine land from other lands, right? You yes. and I both. So, we did it. We're, we're immigrants, we came from a different land at some point. We came here, we've made a new life. How my family's history is not in America. I, I believe yours is not. So we've done it. You know, We are those people. Everybody knows in America that it wasn't long ago that we were all migrants. But there's a, an enormous difference between people who come here and build and invest and bring great excellence with them and those who come not to do those things. Big difference. Big difference.
0: Do you think the motivator these days – Because, for example, in in, let me pick on London, just one city around the world, I hear that they're just giving these migrants free housing, they're giving them money to live, to buy food, and all that, when the people there, if they even try, they can't. Same thing in the United States. If somebody who truly needs the help, it takes months before they can get that help. But anybody else gets the help immediately.
1: So that's the crisis stage of the con. So you're doing things that are patently absurd to set people to make decisions to uh, go along with it. So most people who've been tricked think, well, we're all human beings. We should just let them in, and you know the world's in a terrible state, and at least they're safe here. We should. It forces people to make a bad decision. You see, the clear-thinking person says, wait a minute, that's not fair. We should take priority over anyone else because it's our country. It's ours, you know. We believe in this. We have a history here whether you're new whether you're old. That's that's what empire is trying to outlaw, which is love of your country, love of your family, love of God. That's what it doesn't want. Now it sounds very like liberal versus conservative. Forget that. Just throw that out. Don't I don't care about that. Sometimes we might use those shorthand terms, but it's not. This is about truth. So let me quickly introduce this Subject matter, because I've got my eye on the clock here. I want to fit this in. Uh, truth and authority. So we're on number three on our subjects. Okay, just for your notes. Truth and authority. Uh, how can I? How can I say this? Freedom to know reality requires total freedom of expression. I'll say that again. Freedom to know reality requires total freedom of expression. Most people do not know what real freedom looks like because they've never lived in it. They don't know what it is. And today with Google and Twitter and Facebook currently censoring content that they find politically objectionable or impolite and school teaching students not to be offensive at all costs, we need to take a moment and look at that because that's a problem. And in this respect, I, I would suggest that it would do us all very well to remember the words of a prominent English lawyer, a Court of Appeals judge actually, and, and currently visiting Oxford professor, Sir Stephen Sedley, right? And he made a very important statement, which I think we should all make a special note of. He said, free speech includes not only the inoffensive, but the irritating, the contentious, the eccentric, the heretical, the unwelcome, and the provocative, provided it does not tend to provoke violence freedom only to speak inoffensively is not worth having and this was from an actual case of an unlawful arrest of a street preacher and though sedley comes from a family of pretty lefty liberals he nonetheless has a firm grasp of the vital significance of freedom of speech and he's championed it many times in his in his life so let me just say this to to the listeners. Let's look at the connection for a minute here between truth and authority. Authority is the word here. First of all, what is truth? I would say truth is reality. Plain as that. To know truth is to know reality. So to know a little bit of truth is to know a little bit of reality. To know a lot of truth is to know a lot of reality. Simple. Truth is the actuality of something, whether it's on your table in your living room, in your backyard, in your country, in your world. It's truth is reality, raw, pure, uncontaminated, genuine. Let's look at an example of of a true thing. Like, let's take the smallest example. Two plus two equals four. That is true. Two plus two equals five. That's not true. That's untrue, right? We arrive at that truth and untruth by virtue of reason, our God-given power of thought and intelligence, deduction, analysis—very important skill. So that's true. We can we can decide that it's easy. They can't both be true. One is true and one's not true. Uh, here's another truth. Uh, today, earlier, I got in my car, I drove to the grocery store and bought some groceries. I had a cup of coffee, spoke to some people, I listened to some music in the car. These things are facts of my day. They're true. I look out the window now, and amazingly, I see a blue sky, which in Washington is, is amazing. Is that true? Uh, right. How do I know that's true? Why? How do I know that's a true sky is blue? How do I know that's a real thing? Well, that is the witness of my eyes, and I have faith in their authority. So that's a connection of authority. I hold a pen in my hand now, and in front of me is a laptop and a glass a bottle of water. These these are true things, and I, the truth of them is arrived at by the witnesses of my senses, my experience, and my thinking, right? And you might say, well, are your senses always correct? Well, no. If you've ever seen a stage magician, no. You realize that sleight of hand, card tricks, amazing tricks, stage magic. However, my experience with tricks, with sensory data, with diversions, with decades of life – the intelligence and discernment that I've cultivated, they refine my senses to be sharper than normal. It's very difficult to trick me. So I'm less susceptible to untruth because I've spent the time and effort to train myself in truthful pursuit. And let's let's think about another kind of truth. Uh, I believe there's a place called Easter Island somewhere. I think it's a a small Chilean island in the – Southeastern Pacific, you know, the one with all the monumental head statues called – Yeah, the Moai. Moais.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. How do I know this? Well, I've seen media. I have no direct experience of it. I've not been there myself. So it is therefore technically simply an idea. Uh, It is not an experienced, sensed, felt, reasoned reality. It's simply a belief. So therefore, it is not true that I know that Easter Island exists. That's not true. So at this point, we should plainly state that it is critical for a thinking person to realize that some things are true and some things are not true, and there's nothing in between. A thing cannot be true and untrue. What empire does is it uses the weight of authority, of testimony, uh, which is the weight of consensus, to tell us what is true. So it's trying to trick us to say, look, everybody thinks that Saying this word is wrong or saying anything bad about – you can't say legal alien. You should say undocumented citizen, uh, uh, undocumented citizen. That's what everybody thinks. That's not true. That's a fake authority. Do you understand? That's totally a fake authority. The weight of public opinion is fake. It's un- unreliable. Often even considered expert opinion is unreliable. Law often is unreliable. Scientific doctrine is often unreliable. Our own organs of sensation, our eyes and ears and nose and mouth and touch, they're more reliable. Your reason and judgment, that's even more reliable. The, the fellowship of spiritual elders, that's reliable expert testimony. God is the only always reliable authority. So the most important senses in life to know truth The most important sources of authority is your judgment, your fellowship with spiritual elders, and God. So those are the things that Empire attempts to discredit and remove from social life. And instead, as we said earlier, it seeks to replace them with contracts like the weight of public opinion, fake expert opinion, fake science. So Empire sets all this stuff up and then broadcasts it on CNN and BBC repulsive, immoral, wicked misinformation. Their job is not to share news, but to broadcast an untrue weight of consensus to every unthinking person.
0: So if an intruder enters my home, am I supposed to call him an undocumented individual passing by? Or should (laughs) I call him what it is? A criminal?
1: (laughs) You say, leave my home now or I'll fire. Exactly. That's what I'd say.
0: Exactly. And just before we take the break, let me just say that As we are talking about Europe and other countries and so on. A couple of years ago, well, less than two years ago, we went to Hungary and Austria. And I've been privileged to be able to travel, which is something that I couldn't do when I was really young. But I want to do this for my daughter so she understands the systems of government. So when I took her to Hungary, I explained to her that that was a former communist country. And then she asked me, why is it so clean? Why is it so pretty? And, and, And why are people... Just uh, so capitalist now. And I explained to her that this usually happens after people wake up to the reality of socialism, communism. Then this last summer, we took her to Cuba, which is a land that my parents grew up in. And from far away, as we're entering the cruise ship, it looked beautiful in the morning. But as you get closer to the port, you see how those buildings are dilapidated and they're falling apart. And I explained to her, this is what happens you saw so hungry, and now you see Cuba. Hopefully in the future, it'll go back to what it used to be. But, you know, you have to instill all these principles and values to your children because when they go to college, and I had an argument today from somebody from Sweden when I explained that this socialist, communist cancer is being harvested in our college's and universities by these professors. It's Marxist professors, the new Bolsheviks, I call them. It's a disgrace. Yes, and and he said, that is impossible. I cannot believe this is happening in the United States.
1: It's been happening since the 50s. Your daughter is very lucky to have uh, conscious parents to show her those things. And even at her tender age, she will already realize it's not the people of Cuba. It's not the people of Hungary. It's the government's. The governments create either beauty and order, or decrepitude and disorder. It's it's a government leadership issue. It's never the people. So when we talk about shithole countries uh, like Cuba, it's not the Cuban people. There's nothing racist here at all in the slightest. We're talking about a regime that has conditioned and brainwashed and hoodwinked and pulled a confidence trick on those people, and so it is correct you have to go and see communist countries i've done it too all around (laughs) all around the world and it's very clear it's very obvious human beings generally i believe most of the time when i meet them are good the good in the heart the good in the mind we want the same things we have very very similar aspirations higher aspirations for ourselves and higher than ourselves our communities and families that is exploited by the confidence tricksters so anyone who supports socialism or communism you've not seen enough of it yet because you'd stop as soon as you saw the tasted the poison of it on your tongue
0: I think anybody who wants to advocate for communism or socialism should should go there at least for 30 days live with the locals and then come back and we can have a normal discussion
1: go live in China go live in China for a year and try and uh, Practice Christian theology. See what happens.
0: To you. <laughs> Good luck, Neil. Do you have any projects, any presentations that are you're conducting in the next uh, few weeks or months?
1: Sure, I would turn people to uh, my new workshop download that is available. It's called Radiant Shadow. It was recorded a couple of months ago, live from uh, the main hall at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, upstate New York. Uh, go listen to that many many hours of uh, material in there so that's called Radiant Shadow you'll see it on the front page of the website also Transmutation our film that we've discussed uh, with you Niles and I talked to you a while ago go see that if you've not seen it transmutationfilm.com you can rent it or better still buy it, download it, keep it and if you want to see my work in general uh, go to neilkramer.com
0: I think I mentioned to you that uh, when I watched the movie, for some reason, I just thought of the movie Baraka. You've you've seen that movie? Yeah. And Michael Stearns and the music. But this, you have the colors, you have the scenery, you have Neil discussing and narrating. It's just really, I really enjoyed that movie. Thank you. Well folks don't go anywhere. We are here with Neil Kramer and we have another hour to go. We're going to discuss relativism and pluralism, spiritual integrity. We want to leave you with tools. This new year is beginning and we want to give you with tools so you can equip yourself in this armor as we fight this spiritual war. Don't go anywhere. Malfabrigus here on Veritas. We'll be right back Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.